Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another fabulous episode of The Imposter, the podcast dedicated to making science more fun and engaging for you, the audience. Now, I have to say, everyone, it feels great to be back. It really does. And what better way to mark this momentous occasion than to do an episode on the tantalizing topic of mating. This is actually going to be the first episode of a few that we're going to be doing on mating, so stay tuned for that. And before we start, I want to give a quick shout-out to imposter listener Mike for reaching out to us and suggesting the topic for this episode and actually giving us a few more suggestions. It's always great to get audience participation and feedback, and so, Mike, thank you. This one's for you. All right, so, without any more senseless stalling, let's start this show. We live in an age based on science and technology with formidable technological powers. And if we don't understand it, by we I mean the general public, if it's something that, oh, I'm not good at that, I don't know anything about it, then who is making all the decisions about science and technology that uh, are going to determine what kind of future our children live in? We've really got to start at the earliest levels with having a broader view of what education really can and should be. Because I find that with the young people we have, we are able to motivate them. Science is all around us. It's in us. Knowledge of science is power. It gives you an understanding of the forces of nature. It's not even about how much science you know. It's about how science Now, you may think me slipping in a little M. Conaghy was just a gimmick, but let me tell you, peeps, that everything on this show, and I mean every damn detail, has its place. For you see, the cool, calm demeanor of this young, dazed, and confused star strikes a chord beyond the fictional universe of narrative film. This calling of, all right, all right, all right, is his strategy for attracting a mate, and yes, though this probably won't work for most people, for old Matty here, he's hoping this calling will result in some 70s porn mustache themed coitus. Sex is a fascinating concept throughout the natural world. As straightforward as taking someone to Poundtown may seem, it is layered with complexities. Sure, it can be simplified into the initial enticement of a potential mate, the lead-up to an act of copulating, and the resulting post-intercourse phase, which, depending on your virility, can last a lifetime, just ask my parents. But behaviors, mechanisms, even motives for mating differ depending on species. Add to the mix changing environments and pollutants such as hormone-disrupting chemicals, which we'll get to in a later episode, and you find yourself in a very large puddle of sexual confusion. Okay, that didn't come out as Disney as I thought it would, but you get the idea. And yes, I did just use Disney like that. 
Okay, so as I've been alluding to, today's episode is about sexual selection. More specifically, exploring the different mating strategies found in nature. Now, some of you listeners might already be familiar with the term male-male competition. As the title suggests, for those that aren't familiar, this is when males compete with other males, often through physical contest, to win the chance to bump uglies with a female, most of the time in the hopes to reproduce. But this is not the only successful way for males to attract or reproduce with a mate. An example of an alternative strategy is one that involves less fighting and more watching and observing. Over the years, guppies, as in the small fish, have been used in countless studies exploring evolutionary biology. Let me take you back to the 1990s, a time when Dunkaroos were still a delicious snack time treat and kids' movies didn't try to hide their blatantly racist views. In the 90s, there were a handful of studies being conducted looking at the mating behavior of guppies. One particularly interesting study by Dr. Lee Allen Degatkin and Dr. Robert Craig Sargent titled Male-Male Association Patterns and Female Proximity in the Guppy, Poecilia Reticulata, was published in the Journal of Behavioral Ecology and Sociobiology. They found that in captivity, some male guppies would observe the distance and relative attractiveness of their fellow male guppies and situate themselves next to a less attractive male. In other words, they were sitting next to their fugly male counterparts in order to flag the females with the message, Yo, listen, I know I'm not like the sexiest guppy around, but I'm way better than these losers, okay? By the way, if you're wondering how guppies rate attractiveness, it's through ornamentation or how colorful and how many spots you have on your body, which plays its own risks when it comes to predation, but that's a different episode. Now, this was, again, only one study, so there were others that came out that had mixed results, which reminds us not to count all our chickens. But that said, these results are still pretty cool, at least to me, because not only are these guppies observing other males, they're displaying the ability to evaluate the success of their peers based on several physical and behavioral factors, as well as having an awareness of their own appearance. The female guppies, on the other hand, are knowingly or unknowingly being duped into reproducing offspring that aren't in the alpha class, and instead settling for more mediocre options, which has its own rewards and costs. Again, to be fair to these captive female guppies, it was also shown that they had their own strategies for choosing mates. One tactic was choosing a mate that their female peers also found attractive, while another strategy dealt more with the proximity they had to males. So if they spent more time hanging around one particular male guppy, the higher the likelihood of mating interests there would be. Additionally, female guppies tend to have multiple mates to maximize their chances of successful reproduction and the continuation of their species. That all aside, I have to say this doesn't sound too alien to us humans, because, I mean, that's literally how the writers came up with the plot to every Gossip Girl episode, so just saying. I, I use Gossip Girl as an example because 
I happen to be rewatching it all right now. No shame. No shame. All right. I called it from the beginning, by the way. I knew who it was. Okay, moving on. Another tactic that diverges from the alpha male strategy, you know, that the bigger the better bang on the chest thing, is that of the infamous sneaker male. No, I'm not referring to men that prefer Adidas over boat shoes. Though I will say, to Adidas's credit, they do make a shoe out of recycled fishing nets, so mad props to them on that. Keep it up! What? The sneaker male strategy is one that is actually relatively new to the animal behavior world. It was only in the mid-1970s when researchers in the field started to observe this strategy in the wild. Essentially, a smaller, less dominant male successfully mates with a female by literally sneaking around the larger males while they aren't looking and having a quickie with a female, zipping in and out before the larger male notices anything. Though there is probably more numerous examples of this found in the aquatic world, such as with goby fish, octopi, and marine isopods, to name a few, this sneaky strategy has been observed in a handful of different organisms living in many diverse environments. Larger mammals like the red kangaroo have been known to benefit from this strategy. But I have to say, it's the Sumatran orangutan that I think puts a clever twist on this tactic. Male Sumatran orangutans will either be of the large dominant variety, using fisticuffs to prove their mating worthiness, or some males will remain smaller with a more youthful, even juvenile appearance. This is because the dominant males are more likely to tolerate the presence of small males that don't pose a threat to their sexual and reproductive exploits. So, these smaller males will wait until a larger fella becomes distracted over competition or food or territory, and while they're preoccupied, these smaller males will swoop in for that quick lay. And I have to say, they're actually more successful than you would think using this tactic. That is just the Sumatran orangutans. As I said, the sneaker male is found throughout the animal kingdom. Insects like dung beetles and crickets use it. Even reptiles also share this strategy. The Uda Stansburyana lizard, or as most people refer to them as, the common side-blotched lizard, takes the sneaker male strategy to a whole new level, even more so than our Sumatran orangutans. Now, if you haven't seen a picture of these lizards, I highly implore you to Google them, because in my opinion, they have one of the most beautiful bright blue colorations in nature. In fact, it's the coloration of these lizards that heightens their sneaker male strategy to this whole new level. The common side blotched lizard is found in the warmer, drier climates of Mexico and the western and southern regions of the United States. What makes these reptiles so fascinating is the colorations on the throats of males differ depending on their mating strategy. As far as I'm aware, males are born with these different colorations and they don't change, so their mating strategy is dictated and tattooed, if you will, from birth. 
There are three different colors that signify three different strategies. Males with an orange throat are generally larger in body size and tend to be more aggressive. They also happen to mate with many females, which might be a contributing factor for why they prefer to guard a larger territory. Simply put, the orange males are the alpha males. The blue-throated males are kind of the antithesis of the orange ones. The blues are monogamous, choosing one female and guarding her. They also live close together in range and work with other blue males to protect each other and females from threats. There have even been some reports of these blue-throated males risking their lives in an altruistic fashion to save other blues. Finally, we come to the yellow-throated males, the sneaker males of the group. The yellow markings of these males are actually similar, if not exact, copies to the coloration found on female common-side spotted lizards. This combines two strategies found in nature, the sneaker male and female mimicry. As you can imagine, this little trick helps them blend in among their competition and potential mates. In fact, yellow males don't really keep guard over a territory. Instead, they opt for a life on the road, sneaking in and out of blue and orange territories to mate with their females. The three different colorations of the common side-spotted lizard has become infamous in the animal kingdom as nature's ongoing live-action rock-paper-scissors tournament. The orange alpha males beat the monogamous blues with their size and strength. The blues beat the yellow sneaker males with their careful watch on one female. And the yellow males beat the alpha oranges because they can't watch all the females that they want to mate with. The twist in all of this is that, in the end, the female lizards dictate the success of these different strategies. Whenever one type of male becomes more abundant, the females will change up their preferences so that no one color type ever completely overtakes another. If you go to the blog site, I posted a YouTube link to a video by the PBS channel Deep Look that gives a great little visual explanation of these common side blotch lizards and their mating strategies. So, as you can imagine, there are many, many other mating tactics found in the animal kingdom, and I wish I truly do. I wish I could go into each and every one of them. But alas, there just isn't enough time in an episode, and also that requires more research and... And I just started Black Mirror, so I believe it was the late, great Mark Twain that said, uh, Netflix calls. <laughs> he loved his Netflix. Crazy bastard. Anyway, I'm not going to leave you hanging, alright? So if you are still curious and you want to know more, I will give you a little diving board. I'm going to leave you with three strategies for you to Google yourself that's right, do your own work for once, and from there I'm sure you will find others. So, one, the lovely gesture of presenting a potential mate with gifts in the hope that this will woo them good. This is called the nuptial gift strategy and is used by species throughout the animal kingdom. The gifts can range from food offerings, 
which us humans also participate in, so feel free to surprise order me some dummies anytime. Really, it's, it's no bother, alright? Uh, as well as constructing a nest and plenty of other examples. Strategy number two, polyandry. This is where the female takes control of mating, choosing who to copulate with and how many partners. Most of the time with polyandry, it's multiple mates. The thought process behind this is to maximize the chances of her genes and that of her species being carried forward to a new generation. An example of this was actually earlier on in this episode when we talked about female guppies mating with multiple males. We'll actually come back to this topic in a later episode where we'll discuss the motivations of sex in the animal kingdom. Alright, last but not least, number three is a strategy that is usually used as an addition to other approaches to attracting mates. I am, of course, talking about olfactory cues or leaving odors or chemical signals for others to pick up. Using olfactory cues is something found across species. The most popular and well-known tactic is probably the use of pheromones for attracting mates. Pheromones being chemical signals that are secreted or excreted for communication by insects, animals, even plants. That said, there's also the more brazen olfactory tactic of male hippopotami, which shit themselves and fling their poo with their tails to help attract females, so... Yeah. And on that note, we're going to end this episode. As always, you can find supporting information for today's podcast on the blog. That's theimposterpodcast.wordpress.com forward slash. And trust me, folks, there's a lot of supporting information for this one, so you don't want to miss it. I'm not an expert. I'm an enthusiast of the sciences. My background is in marine biology. So, you know, fact check me. It's important for you. It's important for me. Everybody wins. Okay. Stay tuned for the next episode on the motives and mechanisms of mating in nature. Keeping with the mating theme here, sex is on the mind. You're definitely not going to want to miss that one. It's going to be a doozy. So last but not least, here at The Imposter, we are so very grateful for all your support. And as we pass the year anniversary of this podcast, your continued support via Facebook likes and shares is always and tremendously appreciated. You thought I was going to ask for money, but I didn't. You can always follow me on Twitter at AnotherFogel, that's F-O-G-E-L, and subscribe to the podcast on the iTunes Music Store, keyword Imposter Podcast. Alrighty then, thanks for listening everyone, have a wonderful weekend. For my fellow Yids out there, happy Hanukkah. Merry Christmas, happy Kwanzaa, and for you atheists or just non-religious types, enjoy your time off. See you next time, everybody. Peace.